Psalm 90, a psalm for a new year. I began 2023 in our pastor's absence, the first day of this year actually, with a psalm for a new year. It was the 46th psalm. And I thought it would be right that we conclude this year, this final day of 2023, with a new psalm for a new year. And I've chosen the 90th psalm, which some of you may be familiar with and it puzzles you. This is one often read, preached at funerals. But there's a reason why I believe this is a psalm for us this Lord's Day. And so if you found the 90th psalm, I invite you to stand with me. Let's read together God's Word. Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. You return man to dust, and you say, return, O children of man. See, for a thousand years in your sight, there's but yesterday when it's past, like a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream or like grass that's renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes and renewed, but in the evening it, it fades and it withers. See, we're brought to an end by your anger. And by your wrath we're dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass under your wrath, away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life, they're 70, or by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're gone and we fly away. So who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Hear this key verse. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Would you satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days? Oh Lord, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You join me as we pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking that you would come and by the power of your spirit be our teacher. Use me in spite of me to help these dear folks behold wonderful things from this word. And I'm asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, sometimes a sentence can change your life. A sentence. It happened to me about 20 years ago. I was given a book. It was a little confusing to me. But there was a line in this book, original to a British missionary named C.T. Studd. And this line read in a way that has struck me ever since. You've heard it before. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When those words were first read by me, it struck me like a dart to the heart. And it drove me to go listen to the preacher who wrote that particular book, a man named John Piper. He'd written this book entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. It made me look him up on YouTube. And when I looked him up, I found a, a sermon of his. And in this sermon, 
he added color to this statement that has gripped me ever since. Speaking to a large crowd of college students, he pled for them to understand. It was as if he was speaking to me. And he said, you don't need to know a lot of things to make a difference in this world. You just need to know a, a few things. You don't need to master a lot of things to make a difference. You, you just need to be mastered by but a few things. You don't need a high IQ. You don't need a high EQ. You don't need great health or wealth or a good family or education. You just need to know a few great precious things. And since that day when I heard those words, I have been on a quest these last 20 years to learn those precious things. I have sought I have sought to know that which would help me not waste my life. I don't want to waste my life. Do you? Do you? I'm suspecting that a great many of you in this room don't. I trust that there are many of you in here that want your life to leave a ripple effect such that it will roll through the generations in your family and, Lord willing, create waves that will crash on the shores of eternity. You want your life to count, but there are, in a crowd this size and gathered online, there are, I trust, some of you who don't really care. Perhaps there's some students in this room that, if you were honest, you would have to admit you don't really care whether or not your life counts. You, you just want to be, well, liked by other people. You, you just want... You just want to have resources. You want money. You want to have fun. You just want to enjoy life. Some of you are thinking, Kyler, I, I do want my life to count, but I've already wasted it. It's too late for me. I, I, I've done too much. If you only knew the previous chapters of my life, then you would recognize that my life is, is not going to count. And if that's you, if today you're wondering, could I possibly ever make anything of this one life God's given me, I plead you would lend me your ear. The precious promise of Scripture, indeed the precious promise of this 90th Psalm, is that by God's grace, you can today. Your life can count for eternity. This Psalm, in other words, it actually teaches us in a very real sense how to live a life that will last for eternity. This psalm is, in truth, a new psalm for a new year for us. It'll teach us how to make this coming year count such that come the end of 2024, we will not, by His grace, be able to look back and say, I've wasted it. And if you're still objecting, thinking, Kyler, I'm just, it's too late for me. I'm too old. I, I don't have enough years left to actually make much of a difference. I just want to remind you, look at the top. Who wrote this psalm? You know the superscriptions, those, all, those uh, small words right under the word Psalm 90? Those are inspired of God. They're as old as our oldest manuscripts. Crossway or whoever your Bible publisher is did not put that in there. That came from the original language we have. And it notes that this is a psalm of Moses. Moses wrote this. Do you recognize that this is the oldest psalm in the Bible? Since Moses wrote this, it's one of the oldest pieces of literature we have in the Bible. It's as old as the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses prayed this prayer. He wrote this psalm when he was leading God's people through the wilderness. Don't just consider for a second. 
He wrote this to a generation of folks who had wasted their life, who had been grumbling and complaining, and God in His judgment made them circle the wilderness for 40 years until they all died off. This was a prayer for a people that had wasted it. So if you believe it's too late for you, heed the words of Moses. There is but time. Now maybe some of you are conversely thinking, Kyler, it's not that I'm too old. It's that I'm too young to worry about this i got a lot of life to live, and I want to enjoy it. I have but one life. Don't, I don't really need to worry about making my life count. Can't I do that once I settle down and get married and, and have kids? And if that's you, I want you to note that this is not just a psalm of Moses. What does that superscription say? It's a prayer of Moses. Now, I want you to consider where Moses prayed this prayer, presumably. Do you realize Moses was the world's greatest, most prolific undertaker? He probably officiated more funerals than any person in history because it was his job to lead the people of Israel through the wilderness until that whole generation died off. And the book of Exodus tells us there was a whole lot, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people, which tells us that he did thousands, if not tens of thousands of funerals, if not more. And we presume that it was a prayer such as this that he prayed. Now, you all have been to a funeral. Who is the funeral for? It's not for the dead. It's for the living. And gathered in those great congregations where Moses would have surely prayed this prayer were a bunch of young ears who thought, I don't need to worry about this. And under the inspiration of the Spirit, Moses would breathe out this prayer so that the youngest ears would hear, you must heed this word this day. Now, I wonder, you're thinking, Kyler, I've tried to live my life. I've tried to make it count. I have sought to do this. I've heard sermons before and I've desired to do this, but I have failed time and again. And as I look back on my life, it doesn't seem to matter for much. And if that's you, key in with me on the key critical verse of the psalm. I pointed it out as we read through it. Look at verse 12. Underscore it if you have a marker or pen or pencil. Verse 12 of Psalm 90 is the theme of the text. And I want you to note with me what Moses prays. He says, teach us, O God, to number our days. Number days. That's an odd thing because on the one hand, isn't counting for kids? And Moses is evidently recognizing that we who have aged out of basic arithmetic don't understand basic counting in God's economy. We need to be taught this. We also need to be taught how to number our days, which doesn't mean literally count every day as if you're going to know how many more days you have left. By the way, none of us would really want to know that. It would be the worst thing on earth to know how many more days you have. He's not saying to count your days. He's basically saying to make the days you have count. You need to consider carefully the days you have. Don't count your life in years but in days, I'm 35, but I often don't ever... In fact, I had to Google it. I wasn't sure how many days old I was, and I've already forgotten, but it was 12,000 some odd days of my life. Count the days. Now, the question is why. Why should you make your days count this way? It's so that you may gain or get a heart of wisdom, which is Moses' way of saying, if you want to live a wise life, if you want a life that counts, if you want your life to last for eternity, then you need to learn how to number your days. And notice that this is not something you just naturally pick up. You must be taught it. It's something you must 
ask the Lord to teach you. And so I want you to feel with me that I believe the theme of this verse that I want to just simmer in your mind for the next 20 minutes or so is I want you to see that a life that lasts must be learned. It must be learned. And I want that word learned to just roll around in your mind. Moses evidently learned how to live a life that would last. And in his great inspired ministry, he breathed a prayer, not only indicating for us the lessons he learned on how to live a life that lasts, but he breathed a prayer for his present generation and for the generations to come, including you and I, such that we might to learn with Moses these critical lessons on how to live a life that lasts. By my count, there were six. The first time I wrote an outline, by the way, whenever I prepare sermons, it might shock you, I usually write six to eight different outlines until I land on one. My first outline had 11 lessons, just like Clint's was last week. And I decided since I mocked him and he recognized it publicly, I probably ought to scale it back so I'm not a hypocrite. I have just six lessons that I want you to note from this text. You notice there's 17 verses. I got a lot of text to work through, not a lot of time. This is your last lunch before the diet begins tomorrow, so I'm going to make it quick. So that we can get out of here. The first lesson I want you to note, let's frame it like this. I want you to consider these as like six prayers, so to speak, that you could breathe up to God this coming year in 2023. First, Lord, teach me the peace of your providence. Or you could say it this way. Lord, teach me the peace that comes from your presence. Notice what Moses first breathes out. He says, oh Lord, you have been my dwelling place. Lord is Adonai in the Hebrew. It means sovereign God, one who controls all things. In other words, Moses was recognizing something as he began this prayer. He recognized that a wasted life tends to be a worried life. It's one that is so consumed with the here and now. And so he begins his prayer by confessing who God is and saying, God, you are guiding me. You are Adonai. You are not just God. You are my sovereign Lord. You are controlling, guiding all things. Oh God, Lord, you are my dwelling place. That word dwelling place is refuge or security or safety. So God, you are not only he who guides me, you are he who guards me. You are not only he who is directing me, you are he who is protecting me. Praise you, O oh God, that you are the Lord who is my dwelling place. And notice, this isn't something that God is some of the times. He says, in all the generations you've done this, before the mountains, Moses is just like grasping for words here. So he looks over at the mountains. Surely Mount Sinai came to mind as he had been given the law of God. He looks at the mountains, the oldest thing he could conceive of. And he says, before those even mountains were brought forth, before you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are this great God. You are directing me. You are protecting me. You are, praise God, you are unending, you are completely stable, you are not going to st uh, stumble or falter, you have always been and you will always be. How good is it to know that you have a God who's not only directing and protecting you, but he is unchanging and unending. He will never falter like your father will. He will never, never stumble like your mother will. He will never change Oh God, Lord, you are my dwelling place. 
before all time and forever. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And I pray this coming year, you would with Moses see, oh Lord, you must teach me the peace that comes from knowing you are a God of providence. You are sovereignly in control. You are directing and protecting me unchangingly and unendingly. That is a great grace. So this year, would you cry out to God and ask Him to teach you that which you are not prone to believe naturally? Lord, teach me the peace that comes from Your providence. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, just present those requests to God and that peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, teach me this peace that comes from your providence. The second lesson we learn from Moses, mark this down, ask God this year, Lord, would you teach me the urgency of eternity? Notice the tone changes in Moses' prayer. Beginning in verse 3, he turns his attention from God to himself. He says, you return man to dust. That word dust should bring our minds back to Genesis 3 when God says, you came from dust and to dust you shall return. Moses is crying out, oh Lord, my very life is in your hands. My days are numbered and they are determined by you because you return man to dust. I have a date with death that I will not be able to get out of. My days are numbered and brothers and sisters, I forgive me that this is the message on this New Year's Eve. Welcome to Hickory Grove. But the truth is, our days are numbered and under the inspiration of the Spirit, God has seen fit that we must heed this. We must cultivate this sense of urgency about the eternity that awaits us. Moses evidently recognized that a wasted life is not only a worried life, it's a short-sighted life. It's one that falsely, wrongly, oddly believes that the here and now will continue and continue and go on. How prone are each of us to live with this sort of myopic, short-sighted view as if all that matters is one year in front of us when there is an infinite that it, eternity that awaits. Notice him cry out, for a thousand years in your sight, they're but as yesterday when it's past. And they're like a watch in the night. A watch was like three to four hours. That means, I mean, just consider the math here, and this is poetic, of course, but what he's basically telling us is life is so infinitesimally short in comparison to the width of God's eternity. And so, Lord, would you teach me this? Teach me the urgency of it. And under the inspiration of the Spirit, Moses grasps for language. He uses metaphors. He looks around and he sees that dry wadi. Uh, those were the ravines in that arid climate. And he says, my life is like that flood that comes. Look at that in verse 6. It just washes, verses 5 and 6, it just washes away. Like a flood would just come and very quickly wash everything away. So is my life. Moses grasps another metaphor. And he considers when I fall asleep and wake up, I had a dream but y'all ever notice when you have dreams, it's hard to remember it within like 10 minutes of waking up? My life is like a dream. It's, it's that quick. It just vanishes. Or then he looks at the grass as he's waking up and rubbing his eyes. He stands outside and notices that in that arid climate, the hot sun would burn the grass away. 
But overnight, the dew and the cool temperatures would cause the tiny shoots of grass to begin to revive and grow again. And so when you would awake, you'd go out and look at those fresh shoots of grass coming up. So too is our life. It is but a vapor. And so this year, oh, I ask that you would pray to God, Lord, teach me the peace of your providence. Teach me, oh Lord, the urgency of eternity. My days are numbered. They're determined. And this life is short But then he adds one finer point to this, beginning in verse 7. Moses recognizes that if you want your life to last, you need to not only know who God is and who you are, you need to know what you really deserve. For in verses 7 through 11, he begins to fixate on the seriousness of our sin, which is why I want you to plead to God this year, Lord, teach me the seriousness of my sin. Show me my sin. Verse 7 We are brought to an end by your anger and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our sins, our iniquities before you. Our secret sins are in the light of your presence. Moses is saying that a wasted life is a careless, reckless life. It's a life that is so short-sighted that it makes light of sins, calls them just little silly white lies, small little peccadillos, those things that don't really matter. And before you know it, what you once excused as nothing will begin to compound. It's like sweeping something under the rug. You do that for years, before you know it, the rug is going to become mounded and you're going to trip over it. It'll become a hazard. So too, he is saying, Lord, teach us this. Show us that in your searching bright light, every sin is exposed. Teach me, O God, the seriousness of my sin on the final day. There is coming a day where I will stand before your just judgment and I will be rightly due your anger and your wrath and I will stand utterly exposed. There is not one part of me that I will be able to hide in that day. But Moses is saying your sin seriousness won't merely matter on the final day. It will also matter today. For notice in verses 9 and following, he says... Because of my sin, our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a a sigh, it says. It's like a moan or a mutter. It's just, it's like a groan at the end of life. The years of our life are 70 by reason of strength, maybe 80, but their span is toil and trouble and they're soon gone and we fly away. It's our life is just a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And so he concludes with this great rhetorical question, Well, then who considers the power of your anger? Who on earth actually lives in such a way to recognize how righteous your indignation is towards sin? And by the way, dear church, that is why we emphasize time and again the severity of our sin and the greatness of God's grace. That's why in the children's ministry of this church, we do not shy away from sin. We teach it at the youngest age because if you do not understand the seriousness of your sin... you will find yourself in the unenviable position of those whom Paul wrote of. If any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. You've heard the old adage, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's rooted in Romans 8 where Paul tells us that we must put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Oh, dear church, I pray this coming year you would ask the Lord to teach you the seriousness of your sin so that you will put to death the deeds of the body. A life that lasts, it's learned not only 
the power of providence, the urgency of eternity, but the seriousness of sin. But this is a message of good news because he changes his tone in verse 13. We'll skip verse 12 because that's our operating principle of the whole text. And notice in verse 13, Moses cries out for grace. He says, oh God, would you, would you return to us? Would you have pity on your servants? Moses, in other words, is helping us recognize that if we want to live a life that lasts, we need to learn the greatness of God's grace. We need to see that the gospel is in truth good news. And I am firmly convinced that there are a great many in this room for which the gospel is probably just, well, for lack of a better word, news. Grass is green, sky is blue, God is real. It's just a truth claim and I have no reason not to believe it, but I dare say I'm not even sure you are in Christ until at last you can taste and see that the gospel is great, precious, good news for you. When you at last recognize that what God has given you, when he says, return to me, O Lord, he is asking God to do something he doesn't deserve. That's what we mean by the word mercy. God, turn back to me. Even though your back is rightly turned to me, return to me, O Lord. Oh, have mercy on me. And then he cries out, would you have pity on me? Give me something I don't deserve. That's what we call grace. Oh, Lord, I don't deserve this, but I'm receiving it from you. Please, Lord, have mercy and grace on me. And if mercy and grace aren't some of the sweetest words in your ears, it may very well be because you don't know the seriousness of your sin. For it is only when we grasp by faith the seriousness of our sin does the great jewel of God's grace glisten. You need that dark backdrop of who you are so you can at last experience the goodness, the grace, the greatness of what he has done for you. So Lord, teach me not only the seriousness of my sin, teach me the greatness of your grace and then he he continues. It's like he can't help but just cry out in continuation, Lord, satisfy us. I still got a life to live, Lord. I want to be satisfied until the day I die. And so, Lord, he is, in other words, fifthly saying, would you teach me the secret of true satisfaction? Satisfy me, he cries out, in the morning with what? A good cup of coffee and a home that's peaceful? No, he is actually talking about something that is unconditional, unshaking, unmoving. He calls it steadfast love. In the Hebrew, kesed. That is a type of love that is rooted in who God is. This is not something that wavers. God doesn't love you some days and not love you the next days. This is a commitment covenant love he has for his children that will never waver, never stammer, never stutter. This is an unchanging, unshakable, unbreakable love. And so take heart. If you want to have a sense of deep-seated, real, true joy that will last throughout the ages, you're going to have to find it in God himself. And he will give it to you all your days, the psalmist says. Make me rejoice and be glad all my days. Make us glad for as many years as we have seen evil. That is a great gift that he has promised you. Now, how do you get it? How do you get satisfied in this type of steadfast love? I know no other way than to heed the advice of a famed pastor, owner, a, a guy who ran an orphanage in Great Britain in the 1800s. You've heard his name, probably George Mueller. He once remarked that my great objective every day I wake up is to get my heart happy in God. 
For if I don't, if he failed to get his heart happy in God, which of course he did so in the Word, if he failed here, his day would be off. And my plea to you this coming year is that you would get your heart happy in God. And you will not do this if you don't give yourself to His Word. And so take these resources we have offered you and resolve this coming year. I am going to seek with all my might the secret of satisfaction. I am going to get my heart happy in God Himself. For a life that lasts has learned that the secret of satisfaction is in God Himself. There's one last lesson we learn in this psalm and I want to show you in verses 16 and 17 could have put this as a banner over the whole sermon and that is Moses teaches us that we must learn the power of prayer the whole psalm is a prayer but his great urgent needs at the end of this psalm in particular are critical for us to consider to mull around in our mind and heart For notice what he pleads in verses 16 and 17. He says, Lord, I need you to basically show me what really matters. For example, Lord, would you show you, let your work be shown to me. Let your glorious power be shown to my kids. I want to know what you're doing. I want to know what really matters in this world. And I want my kids to. I'm trying my best, but I'm watching them wander. I'm watching them drift. I'm watching them go the way of the wilderness generation. Lord, I want your power to be shown. I want my children and I want myself to see your power like that generation of old saw your power at the Red Sea. I need to see it, O Lord. And so I'm praying, Lord, show me this power. You must pray, dear church, if you have a child that is wandering, the greatest thing you can do this moment is pray for them. There is great power in prayer. If you are directionless, rudderless, if you don't know that which would make your life count, the first thing you must resolve to do this coming year is pray, for there is great power in prayer. Lord, teach me this power. And if you want your work, the labor of your hands to count, to matter, Look at verse 17 and cry with Moses, O Lord, establish the work of my hands. Yes, establish it. Make my life count. Make that which I put my hand to matter for eternity. I don't just want to know what matters. I want to do what matters. And what I do will never matter unless you establish my hand. And so, dear church, there is great power, power in prayer. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I don't want to waste my life. Do you? Do you? If you don't, just remember that you don't have to know a lot of things. You just got to know a few things. You don't have to master a lot of things. You just have to be mastered by but a few things. This coming year, ask the Lord to teach you the power of His providence, the the peace, I should say, of His providence. It'll still your soul when your world gives way. Ask Him to open your eyes to see the urgency of eternity, to live in light of eternity, to live today like there's no tomorrow. Oh, help! ask the Lord to help you have that eternal perspective. You just need to know a few things. Ask the Lord to sober you by the seriousness of your sin and to gladden you with the greatness of His grace this coming year. 
Ask the Lord to help you stop this suicidal hunt for satisfaction that you'll never find in all the pleasures of this world. Oh Lord, teach me the secret of satisfaction which alone is found in you. Help my heart get happy in you this coming year. And ask the Lord to remind you anew, to fill you with faith such that you would believe with full assurance of faith. I believe in the power of prayer. Oh Lord, I don't want to waste my life. But I suspect there probably are some in this room who have. If you don't know the Lord and you just upon hearing my words this last half hour have thought, I've wasted it. My, my whole life is, it's, it feels like it's gone. If that's you, I, I plead you would hear me this one final moment. If today you feel as if you've wasted your life, I want you to know that there is a life to come. If every chapter heretofore in your life has been one you regret, I want you to see that there is an author of life who can rewrite this final chapter. It may be the final page of your life. He can write, rewrite it and redeem you such that the final pages of your life will outshine all the chapters of the greatest of lives that have ever lived. I want you to see, in other words, that the thief on the cross is a great hope to each of us. That Jesus who redeemed his life in his final moments before he breathed his last, so too he can redeem the chapters of your life. And so I plead with you to turn from your sins and to throw yourself on the mercy of him who alone is the author of your life. And he can do a mighty triumphant work in you such that your final, final days will far outshine all the days that came before. Dear friends, you too can learn how to live a life that lasts. Don't underestimate the power of this simple prayer. Teach me, O oh God, to number my days. Sometimes a sentence really can change your life. Would you join me as we pray? And with your heads bowed, I'm going to ask the Lord to do what I am utterly unable to do, and that is seal this psalm to your heart and mine. Today, if you know that your life is in desperate need of redemption, of a great revision, of a final chapter or two being rewritten by your Lord, this day that offer of grace is yours. Cry out to Him, Lord, forgive me. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you did what you said you did. Throw yourself upon His grace and mercy which He has promised you in Christ. Believe and you can be saved this day. And ask the Lord to be your teacher, your tutor. Oh God, would you teach me until that day comes when I am home with you. Teach me to number my days. I want my life to last. You cry out now as I cry out on behalf of us all. Father in heaven, by the power of your spirit, would you move in my heart and all who can hear my voice. Stir our hearts to heed the lessons Moses of old learned and that are offered us this day. We want to live a life
that last. So teach us, oh God. Teach us the peace of your providence. Oh, would you instill in us this sense of urgency about eternity, a sense of seriousness about our sin and greatness of your grace, the secret of satisfaction, Lord, and the power of simple prayer. Do this, I pray, for the sake of this church, for the sake of the homes represented in this church, and for the sake of every heart who can hear my voice. And I pray this in Jesus' name.